How's everybody doing this morning? I want to say welcome to the streamers up there. I don't know how you all get in that one little corner, but good to see you here. If you, uh, well, let me introduce my, my name is Jose Jimenez. <laughs> not really. My name is Mike, and I am not one of the elders here. I've seen that job. It's way too difficult for me. Too much work. You need to say uh, thank you to those guys sometime when you see them. Good. Good, good. But my name is Mike, and uh, I'm just like you. I'm just a servant, a bond servant, a doulos for Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm just blessed to be able to uh, share a little bit with you uh, this morning. And if you want to open your Bibles to Luke, we're going to start there. But before you uh, find that, let me open with a quick word of prayer here. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather, and I'm so glad that as many as are here that are here, Lord, with all that's going on in our nation and the world with this COVID thing, just pray that uh, those that are streaming will be uh, free to come and, and join and we can be together again as the family of God, the a family at Florence Christian Church. So bless your word this, this morning. Anoint us with your spirit. Fill us afresh and anew. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we get into the word, I want to share a, a little something with you. Um, before I went into full-time ministry, I was the uh, park supervisor for the city of Huntington Beach. And I also uh, taught a horticulture class at Coastline Community College down there in, in Orange County in Southern California. And uh, when I went on staff at Little Country Church in Redding, they had purchased 40 acres of property and were building a sanctuary, uh, classrooms for a day school, et cetera, et cetera. And as summer was approaching and they were trying to open for the school year, they realized they didn't have an athletic field. So with my background, <laughs> I was a lucky guy to, selected to uh, plant a lawn. It wasn't too much. It was about 10,000 square acres, acres, 10,000 square feet. And uh, I thought, you know, I, I think I can do this. And so I put in the irrigation. I, uh, I ordered double the amount of seed. It should have taken about uh, 500 pounds of seed. I went for 100 pounds of seed. And uh, I, was, I thought, you know, I'm going to hydromulch this. So I had this, this area hydromulched, and everything was looking good. And then one of those heat waves that hits Reading whenever it's 110 for a number of days. And I went out to my field and I looked at my grass. I couldn't keep enough water on it. And the seed was drying out and dying. And I thought, well, I put a lot of seed on. Maybe some of it will come up. And, and in a few days, sure enough, I saw this little green little like fuzz, you know, coming up. And I thought, oh, good, you know. And pretty soon these little tiny shoots were coming up and I was so happy. All right. And then one day I went out there 
And there was a swarm, I mean a swarm, biblical proportion swarm of grasshoppers all over my field, <laughs> eating my little shoots. All right, well, I tell you this because we're going to be talking about seeds a little bit later. So in Luke, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And now it came to pass afterward, after that woman that had come in to Jesus when he was in the Pharisee's house and had washed his feet with her tears and had anointed his feet and his head with oil, and uh, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. After this, that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Now, I like that terminology, the glad tidings. It's not the sad tidings. It's not the bad tidings. It's not boy, I'm mad at you, tidings, but it's the glad tidings, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is truly the man from glad. Anointed, the Bible says, with the oil of gladness. So he's preaching and bringing glad tidings to everyone. The glad tidings and the good news is this. All manner of sin, all manner of sin except one will be forgiven all men. All manner of sin will be forgiven all men except one sin. And that, according to Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is the continual rejection of Jesus Christ and your need for Jesus Christ. It's the continual rejection of the Spirit's witnessing to you of your need for Jesus Christ. There comes a time when the Father says, leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Genesis 6 says, God says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. And except the spirit draw a person, no one can come to Jesus Christ. So that continually hardening of your heart, the rejection of Jesus Christ, that's the only sin, the singular sin, that will send a man or a woman to hell. It's a concept that's understood even in our own judicial system. Back in uh, 1830, there was a man by the name of George Wilson that was convicted of mail fraud. Convicted of mail fraud, George Wilson was sentenced to die. But because his brother was a good friend of the president, Andrew Jackson, Jackson wrote George Wilson a pardon. They took that pardon to George Wilson's cell, his jail cell, and he refused to take it. He didn't want to receive the pardon. The man who was sentenced to die refused to receive the pardon. What to do? What do we do? When the case went before the Supreme Court, Chief Justice 
John Marshall wrote this decision. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If if it is refused, it is no pardon at all, simply a piece of paper. Thus George Wilson was hanged for his crime. So too, you and I are pardoned. We are forgiven. Jesus says, if you will take the pardon that I offer, if you don't, you render it meaningless and you'll be sentenced to eternal death. He goes on, Jesus goes on in Luke 1. He says, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So there was a group of women that traveled with Jesus and disciples. Women, it says, who were healed of infirmities, sickness. Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the healer. That's true. We as Americans believe in infirmities. We believe that there are diseases and sicknesses that we can succumb to. We as Americans believe that. And if you don't believe it, you believe it, all you have to do is watch television. Probably one, one out of two commercials is about some pill, some drug that you should be taking for some illness that you didn't even know you had until you saw the advertisement. Over 25% of our GDP, our, our gross domestic product, deals with health issues. Never before in the history of the world has a culture been so obsessed with sickness and with health. Now I believe a lot of it, not all of it, but some of it, has to do with the fact that people don't believe in heaven anymore. And if you don't believe in heaven, you want to stay here as long as you can. You want to hang on for as long as you can, no matter how miserable you are. But if you believe in heaven, you have a different perspective. So Jesus went about sharing glad tidings and healing people of infirmities. But this is what I want you to catch here. I want you to catch... In, in verse 2. It says not only did he heal women of their infirmities, but it says first he healed them of what? Evil spirits, demonic entities. Whereas everybody in our culture believes and is obsessed with sickness and infirmities or being healed from sickness, very few in our culture believe in demonic entities, in demons. Jesus believed and dealt with demons. You can't read the, the, the Gospels without becoming keenly aware that he realized that many of the problems that people had emotionally, relationally, yes, even physically, is because demonic activity. People in our culture in our day ignore that to their own peril. 
We look to psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists and doctors to do what they can't do without dealing with the root issue, and that is demonic activity. Jesus dealt with that, as did his disciples, and as did the early church. In verse 2, he goes on, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons, and jo- Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's stu- uh, steward, and Susanna, who came from Alabama with a banjo on her knee, <laughs> and many others who provided for him from their substance. So as Jesus preached the good, the good news, a group of women traveled alongside this apostolic company, ministering to them from their substance. In all this, we see women of high society, Joanna, and then women like Mary Magdalene. Yet Jesus brings them together. I admire Jesus immensely for receiving the prayers and and the praise and the thanksgiving, not only of those of high society, but those of the lower society. I admire, I am blown away that Jesus Christ would receive my praise and my worship. Verse 4, it says, And when the great multitude had gathered, they had come to him from every city. He spoke a parable. Now, parables were used in those days for people uh, to communicate when they wanted to arouse curiosity or incite interest. They wouldn't use guitars or they wouldn't use humor necessarily, but rather they used parables, little stories with big messages. The word parable... The word parable (laughs) comes from the word paraboli from the Greek. Para means with or alongside. Bola means to cast or to throw. Thus the word parable means casting alongside. Parabolic teaching places a story alongside a truth or a principle And as you study the parables, you need to realize this. The lost and the lazy will not understand them. But for those who are interested in truth, they are wonderfully illustrating and illuminating. Now he goes on in in verse 5, he says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the wayside, and it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it out. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he said these things, he cried, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now let's just stop there a minute. How many of you have ears? I don't see anybody without... Yeah, Dave has ears. Way to go, Dave. 
He says, whoever has ears, let him hear. Anyone who has ears and wants to hear is going to hear. I say, you say, we all say, we want to hear. So how does that work? How do we hear? Look at verse 9. It says, Then the disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? How do we get the meaning? How do we get the understanding of the parable? It's simple. Just ask. Ask the Lord. As you're reading the Word, involve prayer as you're going through the Word. God, I don't understand this. What does this mean? Lord, show me what you, what you want me to know here. And He'll either speak to you in a still, small voice. He'll lead you to a Scripture. He'll lead you to somebody that's going to give you the answer, but He will give you the answer if you're seeking and you really want to know what He's saying to you. So involve prayer. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give it liberally. James, in, in James 4, he says, you have not because you ask not, and you ask amiss because you ask to consume it upon your lust. Ask God, what does this mean? Not what I can get from you. Seek his face, not his hand. He says, if you don't... And then he goes on, pardon me. He goes on in verse 10. And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. He quotes Isaiah 6, 9 here. Why would Jesus teach in such a way that truth would be concealed? Parables can reveal truth. And in this case, in some cases, it can conceal truth. Why would he teach to conceal truth? I think that Jesus does that simply to honor the wishes of every person. Therefore, if a person doesn't, doesn't want to see, the Lord won't force his way upon him. You see, Jesus could have spoken so persuasively. He could have argued so powerfully that those that were not converted were, would be converted even against their own will. And Jesus is not into con conversions necessarily. He won't violate your own will. Because why? Because he honors man's free choice. See, Jesus is not so, so much concerned with a man's mind. He's concerned with their heart. And he knows that if he could argue somebody into believing in their mind, and there's no change of heart, that our minds can be fickle. They can change their mind. But it's the heart that Jesus wants to penetrate, that wants 
He wants to minister. He doesn't want to just minister face to face, but heart to heart. He says, if you don't want to know the truth, I'll conceal the truth from you. If you don't want to know me, I won't force myself upon you. Now, teaching through the parables provided a way for those who wanted to know the truth that they could receive the truth. But those that didn't really want to hear the truth would be concealed from them. You know, a number of years ago, there was a coal mine that collapsed uh, a shaft, and seven miners were trapped down in that dark shaft of that coal mine. They were trapped down there for three and a half days. The rescue crews worked feverishly to, to get to them. Finally, when they got to them to rescue them, everybody was hooping and hollering and clapping as they should be. Until one of the seven said, Hey, why doesn't somebody light the lantern? And the other six looked at their friend and they realized that he was blind because the light was lit. The lanterns were lit. The rescue team had brought light into that dark shaft, but he could not see because he had been blinded by the cave-in. And nobody knew that he was blind until the light was turned on. And they could all see the light except for that one. Before anyone could deficiate, oh well, between those who could see and those who were blind, the light had to shine on them. That's why Jesus, he preaches to the believer and to the unbeliever alike. In order to determine who is truly blind, the light was shining for those that wanted to see, but those who chose to remain in evil, they wouldn't see the light and only prove their blindness. In verse 11 it says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So he likened the word of God to a seed. You know that a seed has life in it? A seed contains the potential to create. A seed contains the DNA code to reproduce the tree, the shrub, the plant that it came from, the original. All is necessary is for you to take that little seed and place it into some fertile soil and water it. And it'll do the rest. The Word of God is as a seed. And within it is the code that can reproduce the, the original in you. That can reproduce Jesus Christ in your life. If it's planted in a fertile heart that's watered by the water of the washing of the Word. There came a time in the ministry of Jesus when people began to depart. They were, they were attracted to the supernatural and when Jesus' 
teaching became very straight. They started to depart. And at that point, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, will you depart also? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Not only are the words, his, the word gives eternal life, but it brings life to those who obey him. David said this in Psalm 119 verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has made me alive. And then later in verse 93, he says, I will never forget your precepts, for with them you have made me alive. Now back in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, it says, he, he begins to, to explain this parable. He says, those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Least they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who, who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell away, that, that fell among the thorns, are those who when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Jesus explains the parable of the sower to the disciples. The seed is the, the scripture, which when it is sown, falls on four kinds of soils, four types of hearts. There are four types of hearts in this room represented this, this morning here among us. The first is the hard soil, soil. Those are the paths that go either around or sometimes even through the field. And the soil is so tramped down and packed down that the seed can't even penetrate it. And then what happens so the birds of the air swoop down. They eat that seed for breakfast, just like my little grasshoppers. <laughs> so too, sometimes we hear the word, and our hearts are so hard, it makes no sense, makes no impact. The second soil represents those who say, yeah, all right, wonderful, and receive the word with joy. Maybe they received the Lord in a Billy Graham crusade. They're caught up in the emotion, whatever it might be. But when tribulation and persecution comes, when they're put down for their belief, when they begin to understand what it means to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, they are offended and they wither away. The third type of soil is infested with weeds. I don't know. Do you guys have morning glory up here? Oh, it's a scourge down south. Ah. Morning glory. They, they choke the seed as it springs up. And Jesus said, the weeds represent the world and the riches and pleasures of life. 
many people become excited about the kingdoms of God. They even begin to attend Bible study. They're engaged in prayer. They enjoy worship. But then the things of the world begin to crowd out that seed and they no longer have time for Bible study, for home fellowships. They no longer have time for prayer or for study of the word or worship. The fourth and lastly tells us, and in Matthew 13 it, it tells us that that seed fell on rich soil and, and it brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 and fold, 100 fold. And that, I find that interesting because the, the, the ratio, generally the ratio of seed to harvest is 8 to 1. But here Jesus is saying, when a seed is sown and cultivated in the soil, an incredible thing happens. Not 8 to 1, 30 to 1, 60 to 1, 100 to 1. We're talking about fruit. Now what is fruit? The Bible gives six specific types of fruit, and I think there's more than that. Fruit is not something we produce produce in our flesh with great effort. It's not, oh, I'm going I'm to do this. You know, have you ever gone through an orchard? I used to live by an orange orchard. I never once heard those trees grunting and groaning trying to produce fruit. It's just that something naturally that occurs in your life because you've been abiding in the vine, communing with the vine, connected to the vine, now, Romans 1.13 identifies soul winning as a fruit. Paul talks about sharing the fruit of, of winning souls to Christ. You do that not to put another notch on your belt, but you do that because people need Jesus Christ. People are going to hell without Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you this. If you have... For, it, it, if you have a hard time sharing the good news of the gospel, it's because you have forgotten how good the good news is. In Romans 6.22 it says, it, it calls holiness a fruit. Now we don't need to be afraid of that word holy. In Christ we are holy. We're set apart. And it should become more and more evident in our life. In Romans 15, 28, it calls financial giving a fruit. Now in Galatians 5, 20, 22 and 23, it lists the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, which results in joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control, God wants to produce love in your life. So when people come to you, you can give them love as a fruit of your life. You know, you can buy lust in Florence, but you can't buy love. You can buy happiness and entertainment in Florence, but you can't buy joy. You can buy sleep, but you can't buy peace. The things the world is trying to buy are the things that we should be producing in our life. 
In Colossians 1.10, it says, Be fruitful unto good works. I'm amazed at so many Christians. They say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. It sounds like my grandkids. You know, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. The grass is so tall, I lost my granddaughter in it. The car needs to be washed. Maybe your neighbor has some of those things going on. Hebrews 13, 15 names praise as a, as a fruit. Thanksgiving and praise. Praising him for who he is. You want to know who he is? Start looking at the names. Start incorporating the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Tzitkanu, Jehovah Shalom. All of those names into your prayer life. Thank him for what he's done in your life. During the song service, do you enter in? Or do you sit there and think about what you're going to do after the service? Now let's finish up here. Luke 8 says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it, sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see it. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. In other words, the one who receives and responds will receive more. But the one that doesn't, even what he has, will be taken away from him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And as they do, hopefully, when you came in, you received a little packet. Hopefully I did. (laughs) A little packet of seed. I want you to, if you didn't get one when you came in, there's some out there you can have them. But I want you to put this someplace. As a reminder that you're either to be watering the seed that is already planted in your heart or spreading the seed to those that don't know the Lord. You know, I honestly believe I don't. I, I can't remember. In my forty years of full time ministry, in my seventy five years of life, I cannot remember a time, a time when there was more chaos, more division, more weirdness going on in in America, in Europe. In the Middle East, in Africa, China, there's total chaos in the world. And I honestly believe that God is doing one of two things. God is either setting us up for a new world order, a one world economic system, a one world government, a one world religion, 
Or he's setting the stage for a great awakening and great revival. Probably both. Now my question to you this morning is, where do you want to spend your time and effort? Trying to prevent something that maybe has prophetically been prophesied that's going to happen? If God is about setting up this one world, we can't do anything. I don't want to stop it. Or do you want to invest your time and your effort into planting seeds and cultivating and watering the seeds that are in your own heart? For me, I'm going to spend time with the seeds. But that's a choice that you have to make. Wherever you want to put your effort. We're going to sing a song and then we'll take communion together, okay? Just wait before you do that.